Christus vincit, Christus regnat, Christus imperat. Hello, I'm David Rodriguez from the Fatima Center, and today I'd like to invite you to just a little casual conversation that Catholics are having all over the world after Sunday Mass. As we all know, this past week, Pope Francis has dropped a bombshell into the media world. Everybody's talking about it, and so we thought... Just like here at our parish, people will be talking about it. I've invited some gentlemen to have a casual, frank conversation that faithful Catholics are probably having all over the world with some confusion, with some, you know, concern. But I'd like to welcome Mr. Ken Shannon, Mr. Tom Dowler, and Mr. Bob Houston. Gentlemen, thanks for coming. As you know, it seems to many people, certainly from what, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post and every other media outlet all over the world, and not just in the States, but, you know, everywhere, is saying that the church is changing her stance, 2,000-year stance, and that with Pope Francis now in this informal documentary, Francesco, that was released in Rome this past week, played at the Vatican Gardens, he is endorsing a kind of civil union or some sort of legal structure so that those who are living according to an unnatural vice, according to a lifestyle that is condemned by natural law, by God's eternal law, but that that should be permitted and that they should have some kind of legitimacy, I guess, to these unions. And obviously that's difficult because it has caused, I think, a lot of concern and confusion for Catholics everywhere. As I see it, I mean, it's it's almost twofold. One is, in one sense, it's very simple, because Catholic teaching is crystal clear. I just put up a little write-up on the Fatima Center's website, in fact, where I mentioned, uh, you know, natural law is natural law, God's law is eternal, it is inflexible, it doesn't change. And so, no one, no one can change that. As I mentioned, I say, no pope, bishop, priest, no king, no president, no congress, I mean, no angel or devil, no authority in the world can change that. So that part is clear. Homosexual acts are intrinsically evil. And hopefully every Catholic knows that. But I'm not sure. And then that's where it gets a little more complex because you normally expect church authorities to support Catholic church teaching. And even on something, I guess to me, it's so basic. But this shows Sister Lucia. She spoke of a diabolical disorientation that we're under. And to me, this is just one of the clear signs that this is so so basic. Uh, and yet people are still sort of saying, well, we got to call in, you know, theologians and experts. And actually, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to call you gentlemen, because the way I looked at it, I thought, you know, some of us homeschool. And when you're going to teach your child arithmetic, you know, I want to teach my little five-year-old that two plus two is four. I do not need to call, you know, the great university professors or the Nobel Prize winners in mathematics. That's a pretty basic mathematical concept. I think my wife and I have it covered at home. I think we can handle it. I think we can handle it. And this is the same way with the moral law. I mean, this is such a basic thing that I think we can handle it. You know, it is nice that some, you know, cardinals or bishops or priests are speaking about it, but shouldn't we all be able to handle this? Sure. I mean, this is a no-brainer. This is not nothing to see here, right? I mean, civil unions... That's nothing in the church. You're you're either a man and a woman that are married, or you're living in sin. I mean, there's that's it's a binary, right? There's no recognition for civil unions or any such such thing. So I mean, yeah, it's it seems pretty straightforward. I mean, what's there's not a lot of study needed. But I, I guess the sad thing about it to me is the that we're having to spend time on it. So basically, it comes up in conversation. My 
kids at the house at the dinner table, their teenagers were having a conversation about it. Instead of focusing on other things, there's enough going on in society in the world that I feel like the church is already being attacked from outside, but now it still seems to be attacked from inside. So that's the tragedy, Bob, is that that my six-year-old is like, Dad, popes in the past might have had their own different thoughts, but they didn't necessarily come out and say it this way. And He studied some history, church history, and so that's the problem is, I was just talking to a guy at work the other day, he's Catholic, and he said, I'm having such a hard time with my family member. It's so-and-so's relative or friend, and it just came up again because I've been trying to teach her for the last number of years that her union with the same-sex union couple is not viewed by the church in the correct way, just like you said, Bob. And so now he's having to, she basically was like, what are you, holier than the Pope? I mean, this is the kind of conversation that makes me sad because we're having to have these conversations with other family members that are either in the church or outside the church. And so it causes confusion. And that's the problem. It's a no-brainer. But then folks that either want to be justified in what they do, I mean, we all do that. The sad thing is, is that when the Pope says something, documentary or what have you, that's the tragedy of is now there's Catholics against Catholics, whereas we should be united and kind of on the same front to help teach the population what's going on. No, I would agree. And I think, too, it also highlights the whole notion of the, the importance of language, the importance of precision in language, mm-hmm. especially from our priests, our prelates, and the, and the Holy Father. You know, when certainly Pope St. Pius X and, and Bishindi talked a lot about the importance of language, the precision of language, and how that's used at times to sow confusion, right? So the same words don't mean the same things, or something said, well, is that what it was meant, or or did they mean something else entirely, right? And so that's what we're kind of seeing debated back and forth within the Catholic, you know, world now. And a lot of people who, you know, on the one hand, rush to the defense of the Holy Father and say, well, he couldn't have meant that because of the mutable teaching of the church and the magisterium, or, you know, and then there's those who say, well, see, you know, that it's okay. Right, that's that's like my friend. You know, and that's yeah. people who don't understand church teaching, I think, too. But, you know, we can rest assured, like you were saying earlier, David, is that the church teaching is immutable. The truth is immutable. It will never change. That's a great comfort to us, mm-hmm. right? But by the same token, it does sow a lot of confusion in the world. And we see the effects of that confusion ripple out. You know, I mean, my mother, who is not Catholic, and she's 77 years old, has talked to my wife and actually asked some of my older children about it. Now, I'd let her read. I've given her stuff over the years. And um, actually, she wanted to reread some of what I'd given her before about Fatima. And this kind of prompted her to come back and look at that. She understands that what she heard in the news wasn't correct, right? wasn't what the church actually thought, you know, based on what we've talked about in the past. And um, so, you know, God can use these situations, even though they're kind of tragic in what we perceive them to be, and even though we know that, you know, the way they're portrayed, they can't be, you know, they're incorrect views. Um, but by the same token, God and his providence can even use those situations to kind of turn everybody's eyes to the church, and then everybody, and then through his grace can... It certainly bring good out of it, right? Well, yeah, and two points to that that dovetail on what you're saying. When you uh, when you just mentioned Ken, and I would say one, I think it's so important for us to realize, like if you can make your friend understand that, yes, in some ways it's more difficult now to hold fast to the truths that Christ the King has taught us, you know, to his kingship. It is being made more difficult because of these attacks from without and within. But there's also more grace, and there's more merit. 
So we've just got to persevere, despite how difficult it is. At another level, in one sense, it's easier because it is something so basic, right? Yeah. That everyone should know. So, like, I think while it's difficult on one end, the human respect level is it makes it difficult. But God's sort of like making it easier for us by saying, look, guys, I'm giving it to you in so black and white. Now is the time to choose for me or against me. But can we convey that message to our friends that are both Catholic and non-Catholic, our family? I think that's also part of our challenge. And then the other thing you mentioned that I thought was excellent is just this notion of it's sad that we're even having to discuss it. And I think that's part of the problem in that, and maybe it's by design. This is what I think it would help Catholics to sort of really understand. And I would say that's the revolutionary dynamic. You know, I don't want to get too philosophical here and go into Hegel and the dialectic, but it is important to understand that. And basically the idea that uh, this philosopher Hegel came up with, right, is that tension and opposition and sort of fighting and disordering chaos is what always moves the world forward in progress. And progress is good. And so you take, you could say tradition, he uses his name, thesis, and you oppose it with like an antithesis. And then there's got to be a discussion. People have to discuss and dialogue it. And in that discussion and dialogue, they'll move to some middle, which he calls his synthesis. The problem is, if you're dialoguing with what was true and what was tradition and what is right. God's true, then no matter where you move, if you are moved some, you're being pulled in a negative direction. So we don't want to be drawn into this, well, I think is important. Yeah, well, I was going to say, the revolutionary always wants to do that. See, once he throws in the chaos and creates the matzo ball, right. then it doesn't matter sort of what outcome comes. As long as he's moved it a little bit this way, the devil, the enemy, he's using these dialectics, he's won. And then, whatever, things will settle out. And then five years later, three years later, ten years later, whatever, he just pulls it again. And so you keep getting, the, it's like the ratchet, right? You ratchet yeah. it and, and you can't go back. And so you just ratchet and you keep ratcheting. Yeah. So that's, I think, this revolutionary dynamic that's going on. And that's, I think, the very complex part that perhaps many of us don't understand. I think to your point, Bob, somehow we have to remain yes, above we this. We can't get drawn into it. I mean, that's the devil's plan, right? The devil... The devil is the originator of Antifa, right? Anti-Fatima, right? We're supposed to, we're supposed to do our daily duty. And these distractions are, I think, designed by the evil one to pull us away from our daily duty. I think we need to deal with them. We're going to have family members that ask us these questions, but it needs to be just succinct. I mean, this is, the Pope can't change the Decalogue. It is what it is. There's, um, you know, if it doesn't have a pedigree, we don't need to worry about it, right? If it's not part of the traditional teachings of the church, just forget about it, right? If the, unfortunately, we live in a time where every utterance of the Pope is available to everybody instantaneously. It wasn't always that way. And I think a lot of Catholics have a Protestant view of the papacy, which is this, the, the Pope is impeccable. And every utterance from the Pope is something we need to make note of and make it part of our spiritual reflections. If it's not part of the traditional teachings of the church, we don't really need to worry about it. We need to do our daily duty and do it well. Better yet, ignore it. Yeah. And not get sucked into, yep. like you were saying, the, the whole dynamic of the dialectical kind of thing, because once you're drawn into that, it's advancing, you yeah. know, that whole process. And, you know, too, you see that reflected in our society, too, right? So goes the church, so goes our world. And we see that chaos, you know, and then everything now as well. And, I think this just kind of adds to it, confusion. People, I think, get a sense that morality is somehow up for grabs now, that you can actually debate these things and, you know, the first principles and things like, that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. and, and and I think people really want to hear that, that, oh, it's not unhinged. Oh, okay, that's good. That's comforting. But 
you know, I, there's not many voices out there who, uh, unfortunately, in the public square that say that. And I think unintentionally, a lot of good Catholics get drawn into the debate and it makes it sound yeah. like there's no, like it's debatable, you know, and it's not at all. And that's the difficulty of it. That's what David's saying, too, about the dialectic. So my friend starts having that conversation, and then he kind of lets the family member pull him just a little bit and a little bit. We all fall into that. And so I think that's the thing is that. And then if if those folks aren't around groups of people that were around to help support the real teachings of the church, that's where we fail. And that's why we look at our culture right now, and we look in the U.S. with the presidency and the elections, and it's the same dialectic going on, whether it's masks, whether it's Antifa, whatever it is. But the problem is, when coming out of Rome, is this same mantra as the liberal side of the United States and it's supporting the same things that are anti-Christ the King. That's the problem. I mean, I heard a sermon today and basically it was about Christ the King and then also how is Christ the King in our own hearts. So it was so, it hit me so hard today because we've got Christ the King that the U.S. has turned its back on. Every country's turned their back on Christ the King. And then I think in my own life, in my own heart, where have I turned my heart away from Christ the King? A lot of stuff. I got a lot to work on. And so back to your point, Bob, like it's black and white and we have to support each other and continue on that train. But folks that follow the Pope, like you said, where they hear every word that he says because the internet and the media and they just believe it. The sad thing is, is that it pulls that tension in your heart away from Christ the King and it pulls you in a, a different way. And so the ambiguity starts confusing the conscience and that that's at the heart of the problem. That's what makes us. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, in many ways, I think it's providential that perhaps this happened, you know, just a few days before this great feast of Christ uh, yeah. the King. You know, I mean, although October has been a bad month, I mean, we've had a cyclical <laughs> that's come out. We've got the secret pact. This 2020 hasn't been China. great. Yeah. No, and I mean, it's just been <laughs> intensified. We had the global compact on education. This is I mean, it seems like it's just coming, you know, faster and faster coming out. The the hits were taken. And that's why I would say always have to remember that the, the reason we even have allegiance to the Pope or our bishops or our priests is because ultimately our allegiance is to Christ the King. I mean, he is our savior. He is God. No one else is. And so we must always stay fixed on him. He's got to be the focus of our lives, both of our state and our nation. So we can't be creating any kind of laws or civil unions or anything that goes against his eternal law. Can't be doing any of that. We can't support any of that. Um, And in our own neighborhoods and in our own families, and to your point, in our own life, I mean, Christ is to be king of every facet of this world, which he has created and which he has saved and redeemed. And if we stay focused on him, like then we stay focused on the truth. And with his light and with his grace, we can do it. But we can't get distracted by all this revolutionary chaos. Uh, and that's the sad part, that that creates disunity. Disunity among Catholics. And we have to resist that as best we can. I know it's not always easy, because often when you need unity, I mean, i got to want to be united to you, and you got to want to be united to me. And if one of us doesn't want to be united, it gets broken. But let's not be the ones ourselves who are the source of that disunity. Right. Let's just say, look, we got to stay focused on Christ and our Blessed Mother. I mean, you look to the message of Our Lady Fatima and she forewarned many of these things. She told us how the dogmas of the faith would not be preserved. Right. Pius XII, he talked about how there was suicide of altering the faith. Uh, Everything Our Lady told us back in 1917, she'd already given us the, the warning and the graces so that we would maintain ourselves in the constant teaching of the church. And so we consecrate ourselves to her, as we keep talking about. We pray our rosary every single day. And if you're praying it, you pray it better. All right? got to pray that rosary even better. Father Shannon and Father Rodriguez have begin talks on how to pray the rosary better. And we pray for the consecration of Russia. We do the first Saturday reparation. We do more reparation in our lives. And chaos may be all around us, 
But if we stay faithful to Christ and to our Blessed Mother and to our message of Fatima, then in the end, we will triumph. Right? And she so asks to do our daily duty, right? Yeah. We have yeah. to do our daily duty. Right. And that doesn't involve all the inner workings of the Vatican every day. Right. I mean, it's about growing in holiness. If we're not growing in holiness, then I don't think we're going to deal well with these types of issues. If we do grow in holiness, we will. And, and none of us is probably where we're at. I mean, I'll be the first to raise my hand where I'm at in terms of virtue and holiness. Boy, do I have a long way yeah, to go. Yeah. So I got plenty to worry about. And as a father and a husband, plenty to work on. Well, so, kind of like what you were saying, too, David, is that, you know, as this is a great mercy in a way, that we have these times, these contested, these strifeful, chaotic times, because it is easier for us, for me as a human being, to focus on my duties, to focus on what I need to, because there is that that perception that, you know, we need to be more prepared. Whereas if it's rainbows and unicorns, we, we take a step back and say, eh, you know. Well, it's almost it like training for war. Are the problem. It's almost like training for war. If you, if you know there's an impediment of war coming, you're training harder for that war. Right. And so we have to be more spiritual and focus yeah. more on the true teachings of the church and what our state in life is. Because all of our kids are learning that. We have to raise our kids to be saints right now in this day and age because of the battle that's out there. It comes in the house. It comes through what we hear from Rome and it all comes in. And that's what I think, Tom, is that we have to be focused on that. And I'll tell you, I mean, I think it's really important for all of us, every Catholic out there to just remember God will bring good out of this. We may not see how, but it is our faith. It's infallible to know good will come out of this. I mean, some of the goods I see it, like you're saying, it makes us train more for battle for war. It makes us sort of realize, hey, we got to work on this. It can galvanize us. Galvanize us. I think even, I mean, as much as I hate it with all these different things that have been coming out of Rome for, for years now, the last years, is I think each one opens someone's eyes. There's a group of people whose eyes are now getting open, hopefully to the message of Our Lady of Fatima, hopefully realizing, okay, there is this diabolical disorientation. There are problems, very grave, very serious. And then I got to work on it. I got to figure out how I'm going to save my soul and help others save their souls amidst this. And so even in that, God can work on it. I love this analogy. I just want to share it because uh, I heard it from a priest. He was talking about how years ago he went to a hockey game. He was a hockey fan. It was like, I guess, maybe a game seven. And his team got down like 3-0 and it's in the third quarter. So like it's over, right? He knew it was over. And then his team mounted the greatest comeback. And he was in the stands. He loved it. Well, the film came on TV once and he saw it again, you know, 20 years later. But he'd been in the stands when it took place. And he just, he relished watching that game so much. And he said, you know, there was a lot of anxiety when you were first there. But now watching it, you know, 20 years later, knowing the outcome, knowing my team wins... This is like an instant classic. It is like so great to watch this. And there's such relish. And it didn't matter how much the score was run up because you still know you're going to win in the end. And that's, I think, the thing that we as Catholics have to take. It doesn't matter how much the devil is running up the score. In the end, when that comeback victory is there and the Catholic Church does win and Russia is consecrated and the Immaculate Heart does triumph, there's going to be an even more glorious victory. It's almost like the more he runs up the score, the more glorious the victory will be. And then for all time, you know, the saints and the angels will be singing God's triumph and God's glorious triumph. So there is, you know, on a supernatural level and even on a level we can see, there still is some good in it that we Catholics need to focus on to help us, I think, continue going in the spiritual life and on that path, that path to virgin holiness. Well, gentlemen, I'd, I'd really like to thank you very much for joining us. I think it's appropriate that we close with a Hail Mary. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, grace the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, and now at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Christus vincit, Christus regnat, Christus imperat. Thank you for joining us as well, and uh, this has gone well. Hopefully we'll be able to do a few more of these casual conversations in the future. Sounds good. May God bless you all.